0: You're listening to a live recording from West Side Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, hi everybody. Good to see you, or at least the upper half of your faces. Glad you're here. Uh, if you're joining online, welcome. If you're in your PJs, no judgment, I'm a bit jealous. Um, and if you're at your home church, I'm so glad you joined all together. Uh, it feels good, I will say, to be kind of in a stage of some normalcy coming back, right? feels good. I uh, had a buddy text me this week. He and his wife got vaccinated, and all his text was long games all summer. Lawn games all summer. That's all we're doing is hanging out and doing long games. Looking forward to it. Um, well, one of the best things that came out of this whole crazy pandemic time for me personally was a thing called the last dance. Anybody see the last dance? Anybody with me? Okay, all right. There's two people. That's awesome. Um, well, listen, I got to tell you this, my backstory. I was a super fan of the Chicago Bulls in the 1990s. Just dominant basketball team, and predominantly of Michael Jordan. And this uh, document series, documentary series, um, Last Dance is just a story of Michael Jordan's development, coming to Chicago, uh, and then dominating the world. Um, And so I was so excited to watch this documentary. It is no joke uh, when I tell you that my entire room was plastered with Michael Jordan posters and paraphernalia all growing up, except for a small corner that was dedicated to Jennifer Aniston. Uh, Friends (laughs) was a real thing, a big thing back then. So I couldn't wait to dive into this documentary and watch it, and it did not disappoint. It was fantastic. Basketball fans, I highly recommend it. But something interesting happened when I was watching this story unfold. um, This narrative bubbled up that this was really a story about an incredibly dominant, talented individual pouring all of his life into a singular goal and not reaching it. Not reaching it. Uh, when you hear the story, the Chicago Bulls at that time could not sell out the arena. Uh, couldn't actually sell more tickets than the indoor soccer team that was playing in the same stadium. They were, the soccer team was selling more tickets than the Bulls. Michael Jordan puts the team on his back, the city on his back, and just pours his life into winning a championship in Chicago. And he can't get there until he begins to welcome other people into his life his coaches his mentors teammates he begins to see his need for people who can't do who do things he can't and he is making those people better and there is this beautiful culmination of this community no no joke community coming together in this team and then reaching places none of them could have done individually it's really beautiful um In that story arc is this really interesting side that as as Jordan is reaching his goals, becoming more successful, famous, rich, a lot of things that our culture really esteems, uh, he gets more and more isolated. He gets more and more alone. He's in these hotel rooms by himself, can't go on the streets, can't go get food. Um, He becomes more and more isolated. And I think this is a really good place for us, uh, or at least an example, to kind of step into this idea of community that we're going to talk about over the next four weeks. Because I finished this documentary and I said, yeah, that's exactly how life Works we lean into as individuals, particularly in America, we lean into our individual strength, our talent, our dreams, our goal, and it's singular when I think when, when I was thinking about the bulls, it Michael Jordan was a singular person i didn't see the rest of the team, every dunk, every shot. it was like Jordan was a singular individual, and that's not the story that's not the story that's not the reality um, and so This is a good place in the next four weeks where we're going to kind of move into a series we're calling In This Together. Coming out of COVID, coming out of this crazy year uh, where people have experienced isolation in unique ways, uh, and hopefully we have uh, stirred up a hunger to be together more, uh, we're going to lean into that, uh, the series In This Together. And it's going to focus on a couple important questions. First, what is God's intention In building a community in his image. What is God's intention in building a community in his image? What does it mean to be a people of God, not just a person of God, an individual of God? And it's interesting, as we unpack this idea of community in the Bible, we're actually tracking the whole story arc of scripture, beginning in Genesis, where we'll be today, all the way to the end, God is making and forming a people, not just a person, a people for the world. Uh, we start today looking at how we are a created community. We are part of the creation story together, not just individually. Certainly we are individually, but we also are together. We actually share God's image as this life shared together secondly next week pastor steve will look at we are a covenant community that god as he calls israel out and he forms his people which we are a part of he makes a promise a covenant like a marriage he he commits himself to us and that holds this community together outside of our emotions and ideas and all the other things there is a a covenant promise that holds us together as a community. God says, I will bless you that you would be a blessing to all people. Thirdly, Pastor Bo will look at uh, us as a preview community. We are the preview of what heaven and earth meeting will be like when Jesus arrives in the gospel story. He uses this language, uh, the kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is at hand. And when he prays with his disciples, he says, let it be on earth here with us. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And he is proclaiming that what has resided only in heaven will now begin to take ground here on earth. Ushered in through Jesus, we are a preview of heaven as God's community together. And finally, uh, Pastor Ben is going to talk to us about being an engaged community. This is not a passive way of living. This is an engagement, a moving towards our city, towards our families, towards uh, new life and renewal. This is a plot twist. There's a plot twist in the gospels where uh, Jesus is resurrected and he's back and everyone celebrates and he goes and teaches and they have meals and then he leaves. <laughs> he, he ascends Wait, everybody thought he was coming back and going to stay and like rule the world together. No, he, he, uh, he resurrects, he comes to his disciples, and then he leaves. And when he leaves, he leaves the keys with us. He leaves the keys with us and some instructions. He says, I'm sending you a helper in my spirit. I'm sending you a helper. Number two, I will do, you will do greater things than even you saw me do in this world. And thirdly, he says, go make disciples of all nations, of all people. A healthy, active community in Christ should be an engaged community for our city, our families, particularly for those most vulnerable, most on the margins. Jesus moves toward those, and that should be our engagement as well. Okay, sound good? That'll be the next month. I can feel the energy just pulsing through the room. This is going to be great. So with that, let's open our Bibles. Uh, If you have an actual, real, physical Bible, I've always wanted to say this, you can turn to page one. Uh, If you don't, no big deal. You can use your phone or it'll be on the screen. We make it as easy as possible. All right. Page one, Genesis chapter one, this is the creation story. This is a beautiful piece of scripture that describes God's formation of all things in harmony, in order, in beauty, and most importantly, they are good. Everything God creates is good. And so we're gonna jump to a significant part in verse 26, but take a chance this week and read through this narrative nice and slow and just listen to the beauty and the artistry and the creativity that God breathes into the first chapter of Genesis. So he's making light and dark and sky and sea and land and animals. And it's all harmonious. It's all breathing, like teeming with life. Um, and then we get to verse 26, and it's the first time we hear God's voice in the Bible. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, and this is what he says. Then God said, let us make them mankind in our image in our likeness let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea the birds in the sky over the livestock wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground this is god's word let us make them in our image. In this opening chapter of scripture in Genesis, we're just welcomed into this beautiful creativity of God, this order and harmony that he is breathing into life. It reminds me of when I was um, in my early teens. I lived in Kona in, on the big island of Hawaii on the western side. Um, and there was an artist named Robert Thomas. Check out his stuff. He, he passed away a couple years ago. Check out his stuff online, it's magical. I used to sit uh, and watch Robert Thomas take a blank canvas uh, by the seaside and begin to paint like Robert, uh, Bob Ross. You know, everybody knows Bob Ross. Well, maybe you don't, you should check him out too, really good. But Robert Thomas was this artist in Kona and he would begin with a blank canvas and he starts adding, uh, you know, the sun and the sky and the sea and the waves and the light coming through the water and the mountains. And then he'd have a water line where you could see above and below the water line in his painting. And underneath was the dolphins and the fish and the coral. And it was just like, just breathtaking. And this is just a dude with a canvas and paint. Imagine what God is doing in Genesis. It's just a little picture of what God's doing in Genesis. It's just breathtaking and beautiful. Um, I want to put a disclaimer here, though, because if uh, you, like me, uh, grew up in the church for many gen- generations, um, this portion of Scripture, Genesis 1 and 2, have so often been um, been used as an argument for creation or evolution. Is the earth old or is it new? Uh, how? What was the process, okay? And I'm not here debating any of those things. Those are good discussions to have. What I'm gonna ask you to do, though, is to set those down for a moment. No matter what side you're on, how passionate you feel about that, uh, I know the church has invested a lot into this discussion. I'm gonna ask you just to set that aside because... The authors of this book, Genesis, and the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible, they are not trying to explain to us how everything happened. This is an ancient people. (laughs) They don't know about gravity. They don't know there's rotation of planets. They don't know about sound and light traveling through waves. These are an ancient people. They want to know who is behind this. Not how, timing and science and, you know, that's good stuff for us to talk about. We have the tools to actually unpack some of that. That's not what these two chapters are trying to do, all right? So I, I want to set that context because it's really important to unpack what Moses, who's the author of these books, is trying to tell his people. And so for a bit of context, Genesis, this book, it's written five or 6,000 years before Jesus arrives on the scene. It's very old text. Most of uh, biblical scholars believe that, that Moses either wrote or he was the managing editor of these books, like collecting this narrative story and the Pentateuch and the laws and Torah, all of that. He's forming a basis for this people to know who their God is, not how he does everything, but who his character is. And he's writing this book for a refugee people. A people that have lived 400 years in enslavement in a foreign country, and they know the Egyptian gods. And those gods are wrathful and angry and manipulative and destructive. And then they're introduced to this God, Yahweh, who loves them and says, I am blessing you, and you are my people, and I bring you out of enslavement into freedom into a new land and they're like, who is this? And Moses is explaining that to them. So this is the context, really important for how we read this Genesis story. Moses is explaining not how, but who is behind all of this incredible creativity and life. And what we learn as we listen to this narrative is that, about God, is that he is a they. He is a they first time we hear his voice is let us make them humankind in our image in our likeness in this passage Moses is uh, giving insight to who God is to these people and two things are revealed one what God makes has order and it has harmony and it's good What God makes has harmony and order, and it is good. He declares it. And secondly, we discover that God is himself a community. God is within himself a community. Now, we call this the Trinity, and um, this is part of kind of our Western post-Enlightenment way of seeing the world. We want to pull things apart, and how does it work, and what do we do, and what's the, the strategic plan, we, we unpack things that way, and that's good and useful. Um, but it's helpful sometimes to hear how the early church talked about this. They used a different word than Trinity. They used a Greek word, perichoresis. Can you say perichoresis? <laughs> Exciting. We're doing our Greek this morning. Way to go, everybody. Perichoresis, and it's this beautiful word. It means the divine dance. The divine dance dance. I love the imagery of that word. Three persons, father, son, and spirit, moving, loving, caring, supporting, dancing through this creation narrative together. So amazing. And we don't talk about it this way. I think we should more. Um, It's so beautiful. And here's the thing. We actually do experience this on earth. We experience these moments where multiple things work together for good, mutual benefit and love that brings life. I'll give you a silly example. Every four years, the Winter Olympics comes. And um, in our country, maybe in many countries, but I know, at least in our house, um, there's this one thing that kind of moves way ahead of everything else, gets elevated, and we never watch this. We, we never watch this outside of the Olympics. Um, figure skating. Figure skating. I don't know what these people do <laughs> the rest of the time between Olympics. Like, just do lots of skating, I guess. Um, but, oh my gosh, when you watch these, especially the pairs, when you watch these skaters do their thing and it's working, It's amazing. It's incredible. There's like so much trust. (laughs) Look at that girl. There's so much trust uh, of her life in this hand, singular. Um, And it's just beautiful, and they're working together. It's amazing. Um, And when it's not working, that's really obvious, too. I had another slide that was a guy like this and a girl flying face first across the ice. (laughs) Like, it's very clear when it's not working, Um, silly example, but this is like a a way of seeing this divine dance, like two or more things coming together, working for the good and harmony, submitting, trusting in one another, father, son, and spirit. So intimately connected, living in mutual love. It's almost indistinguishable one and the other. So what does this have to do with community? I'm so glad you asked that question. You guys really set me up for this. What does this have to do with community? When God says, in Genesis 1, let us make them in our image, in our likeness, we should realize that the divine dance has been imprinted, imprinted on us as God's image, as his image bearers. We are a living embodiment of the divine community. We, together, in this church, in this room, in this building, sharing life together, we are a living embodiment of this part of God's image made to live in mutual love of God and each other. The funny thing about love is it is very difficult to experience love alone, individually, You can give your love away, you can love others, you can even learn uh, how to best love yourself, and that's a good healthy thing to do. But to fully experience, fully experience us as image bearers in love, we have to do it together. It takes others, and when you experience that, when you experience unconditional, Infinitely sharing love, it is transformational. It is life-changing. You won't be the same when you've been loved that way by another. It's the way God transforms the world. Um, Thomas Merton, who is an author, priest, um, incredible thinker. He wrote this book, No Man is an Island. I highly recommend this book. Um, Read on it. Chew on it. Keep it by your bedside. He says it this way. I love it. True happiness is found in unselfish love, a love which increases in proportion as it is shared. There is no end to the sharing of love, and therefore, The potential happiness of such love is without limit. This is such a great sentence. Infinite sharing is the law of God's inner life. Infinite sharing without withholding, giving fully, unconditional, fully of yourself, of love. It is the law. It is that divine dance of God's inner being, his life he has made the sharing of ourselves the law of our being so that so that is in that it is in loving others that we best love ourselves this way of living and loving communally the divine dance that we're invited into by god is so important and it's so important in fact that god stops the creation story to address it in genesis chapter 2 verse 18 uh, we hear for the first time something shocking. It should uh, resonate with us. It could, should cause us to, to pause. Genesis 2.18, then God said, it is not good. First time he uses that, that word. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. For a lot of us we, we read, who've read scripture growing up and memorized it and sat in classes and all this different stuff, we kind of get numb to these phrases a bit. This is shocking. God makes something not good. First time that's ever said. From the first page, first sentence, God makes something, it's good. Sky and sea, good. Land, animals, good. Trees, birds, all the stuff, good. Man alone, not good. Not good. Why is this a big deal? If God's imprinted image on us is the divine dance of mutual love, then a life lived alone, separated, without community, without mutual love, is antithetical. It is the opposite of who we are created to be. And if we believe that what God says at the beginning, that he says it's good, then it must be good. Then we also must believe equally that what he says is not good is actually not good. Man alone. And what is God's response to man's loneliness? He responds to it. He calls it out and then he responds to it. And his answer is to send another image bearer who will expand the community of God, the helper. He sends another image bearer to expand the community of God. And I wanna just pause on this word helper for a moment. It's a bit of an aside, but it's super important. Uh, this piece of text of, of Adam being alone and God saying not, suitable, uh, not good, I'll send a helper, uh, a suitable h- helper for him. That word helper has been used uh, for, for generations to talk about women in like a sub-creation way. That, that Eve was made as a servant. That Eve was made after Adam as kind of a secondary creation. And I, I could understand where people would see that and think that. But here's what uh, I want us to understand today. Th- this word helper, a specific word in Hebrew, there are only two other places that word helper is used in all of Scripture. It's in Isaiah chapter 40, 2 Samuel chapter 8, two other times. And both times, that word helper means God himself shows up for his people. God himself shows up for his people. This is not a lesser creation. This isn't a secondary creation. This is fully God arriving on the scene. That is what the helper means. So, With that context, what should our response be as the church when we see people in loneliness, in isolation, outside of community? We should be the helper. We should be the partner. We should be the image bearer of God moving towards this and bringing life and fullness. I know this is tricky, and I'm winding down here, I promise. I know this is tricky. It's easy to talk about things theoretically and in other languages and history. Living this out is hard. You introverts in the room, I, I see you in the back in the darkness. I know introverts, you want a book and a fireplace in a cabin far away. I get it. Totally get it. And I would say to you, you are an image bearer of the divine community. And so there must be space in your life to share your life with others and to be cared for by others. Extroverts, I see you in the front row. I know after this you will want to shake everybody's hand and dance like a butterfly across the room. Uh, I get it. God bless you. And as an image bearer, of the divine community, I would challenge you to go into deep spaces of relationship. Be vulnerable. Share the hard stuff. And this gets even deeper, you guys. Uh, There are people perhaps in the room, but probably online somewhere, um, who have been rejected by the community of God, have been unwelcomed, And I want to say to you, um, you are as much an image bearer as anyone in this room. And I would ask you for courage to stay in it, to allow yourself to be loved by the community of God. And then the challenge for us, who call ourselves the community of Christ is to move towards these people. The story arc of scripture is one big story of God moving towards humanity. Not standing far away saying, come at me when you're cleaned up, when you get your act together. It is God moving towards humanity, pursuing his love. I know it can be messy. Um, And to those who have been hurt, who have experienced being unwelcome, um, I want to say to you as your pastor, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You should never experience that. If there is any place in the entire universe where you should feel welcomed, invited, celebrated, loved, it is the community of Christ. It is the people of God. And um, listen, some of you are already doing this. Some of you at Westside are already doing this and you have your community and you are living in mutual love and vulnerability and respect and grace. And I say, keep going, don't stop, don't settle. Keep going and welcome a couple people in. And there are others and we've had these conversations for months now as we've been talking about community here at Westside who would say, I haven't experienced what you're describing at Westside. And I wanna tell you, we are working hard To create a place that you can experience this. That we can experience this together. And we're going to get there. We are going to get there. As we close, I want this last thing to be the one that you hang on to today. You, my brother, my sister. You are most fully who God breathed life into and carries his image. You are most fully that when you live in a community of love shared with others, centered on Christ, you are most fully yourself in that space. Move toward that. C.S. Lewis uh, said it this way. He said, the instrument through which we see God is our whole self, not these individual parts, our whole self. God reveals himself to those who are united in a body, loving one another, helping one another, Showing him to one another. We're made for this. Let's pray. As we pray, church, um, I would just ask you for a moment to remember a time in your life where you experienced unconditional love. what that felt like what that experience was like for you and as you ponder that i want to tell you that that is god that is god's spirit it is his image it is his essence his nature god would you come into this time jesus And minister to us. Remind us, thank you for your word, God, that centers us and brings us back to the remembrance of you and your work and who you are and your nature. We love you, God. Would you give us courage to be the people you made us to be in this world, in this time, right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. We bless you and thank you and ask God's grace upon you for the rest of your week.